This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. Hey everybody, thanks for coming. Zach Jackson, along with Pat McManaman, it's Civilized Barking. It's the longest January ever edition of Civilized Barking. Um, We think the Browns are finally done for the month. They had these deliberate searches that landed on the people they always wanted. Um, And then over the past, oh, hell, I don't know, 72 hours, they've officially named a GM. They've officially cleaned out three of John Dorsey's top lieutenants, and they've hired an offensive coordinator in Alex Van Pelt. So, Pat, as usual, in the offseason, there's a lot to talk about with the Cleveland Browns. Where would you like to start? I don't know where to start. We throw a dart and see where we wind up, right? How about the new GM? Yeah, well, I left out Kareem Hunt, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it did that little detail. Um, okay, yeah, let's start with the new GM. Uh, before we get to him, let's, you know, start, let's start with the processes and, and whatever. Um, you know, I had what I consider to be good information that he was always the favorite. All of a sudden, George Payton got the second interview, the first guy to get a second interview. Um, he eventually bowed out. You know, whether he wasn't comfortable with the power structure or whether he thought he wasn't getting the job, or whether he just didn't want to leave Minnesota, I'm not sure we'll ever get that full answer. It doesn't matter. Um, within about 36 hours of of that news breaking, they had Andrew Barry on board. They know Andrew Barry. 11 months ago, Andrew Barry worked for the team. Uh, he's worked with Paul DePodesta before. Uh, we know the power triumvirate is now of the Browns is now former Ivy League football players uh, with you know a similar line of thinking, which was the goal. Um, they know a lot of the same people, and they get to work. So uh, they're working from behind, no doubt. It's not insurmountable by any means. It's probably minor in the big picture. Andrew Barry was essentially third in charge of the Philadelphia Eagles, working on scouting, working on free agency, you know, working on building a team that really wants to win the Super Bowl every year and thinks that it can. Uh, We'll see here, but he comes in, and um, to him I say good luck. (laughs) I think think your point about uh, that they got who they wanted all all along is pretty accurate, Zach. I think that back in December, I think you mentioned Kevin Stefanski, and and then when you hear about John Dorsey, I think Andrew Barry's name came to everybody's mind immediately. I mean, Jimmy Haslam – Thinks very highly of him. He's very bright. He's very young. But he has done a lot of different jobs in personnel and scouting. Uh, So maybe he's the guy who's young, who's ready. Um, But I think all along, you're right. I think this was the plan. And and whether George Payton just doesn't seem to want to leave Minnesota for whatever reason. And they interviewed him probably because of their coach. But I think that this was the plan. This is what they wanted. They lead the NFL in IQ points in the front office. But let's not also forget, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this. This is the same approach that led to the drafts of 2016 and 17, which were not exactly uh, hallmarks in Cleveland Browns history. Yeah, um, it's interesting there because I I know you're at least partially right. Uh, I know none of us <laughs> partially. <laughs> well, not, none of us. Fully I appreciate know, that. <laughs> you know, none of us fully know where where they think they are. And hell, when you you make changes every year or two, nobody knows where you really are because right. you give up ground in the short term, even if you think you're getting better uh, in the in the long term, right? And in, in total fairness, the last time that these guys were here, the goal was not to win, right? It was to tear it down, which is the easy part, and they did that. Um, it led to historic losing, and we are talking about an organization here 
uh, that even the most optimistic of optimists has to admit has been through historic incompetence. It's in the record, and it's it's a league where your record, you are what your record says you is, are. Uh, sorry, I, I get angry. It's been a long <laughs> month. Um, however, you know, this is what the owner wanted with Paul DePodesta coming to power. This is what Paul DePodesta and the owner wanted with Andrew Barry coming in. And this mold that they take over is much different and much better than the other one, right? Uh, they have some guys in place. They've done this before. Um, and, you know, I, I guess this is like, like everything else with the Browns. This is both an area of concern and a starting point, right? I mean, we know that this team underachieved based on talent, right? But there's a little bit of vibe, like the owners treating it like they were 1-31 in all over again. Right. So to say where they are, I, I don't know that answer, Pat, but I, – I guess what I'm trying to say in a very long-winded way is um, it's, a, it's a little bit unfair to say that it's similar, you know, that it's just like the last time, but these guys, these are the guys that oversaw one in 31, no doubt about it. Well, I think that's a very good point. And I think it's more than a little bit unfair. I think it's probably a, a lot bit unfair because you're right. They were tearing the team down and whether they admit it or not, uh, they didn't care about winning. The, the, those two seasons they didn't care they, they wanted to amass draft picks they wanted to go younger and they wanted to do whatever they could to get numbers of players because you know at least the general perception is in analytics numbers the more the numbers of players you can bring in via the draft the, the better your chance of hitting on them uh whether that's right or wrong i don't, I don't think either of us are <clears throat> excuse me are analytics experts but that is definitely the perception so they they were you don't trade out of the second pick when you have a franchise quarterback if you're trying to win. You don't trade out of Deshaun Watson when you have a draft that could include Miles Garrett and Deshaun Watson if you're trying to win. They they just weren't. And you know, they people can say what they will about Hugh Jackson, they and they will, but you know, he had a completely unwinnable situation for two seasons. So the problem I have with the the whole thing is it's like the owner, and you mentioned the owner, it like playing ping pong, ping pong with himself. He's hitting the ball on one side of the net, and he's running to the other side. He doesn't like it over there, so he runs back. Because we've gone from traditional football with you know Ray Farmer and that group to the analytics group with Sashi Brown to saying, well, we need traditional football. We need a guy who can bring it, do scouting. And they brought in John Dorst. Now we're back to where we were. So right. who knows? I mean, <laughs> the, the way this goes back and forth, I mean, the one thing I hope – and. I, I, you don't know. This is a whole. This is a pretty unique setup. But the one thing I hope is he has some fortitude at this point in time to at least commit to this. To say we're going to stick with this for three years, no matter what happens, because we have to see if something right. with some continuity works. Well, and until I see much differently, this is a six and ten team. Exactly. And so then that's the question of what happens when when they do go right. Um, but to get to more away from the processes with the GM in the front office and get to Andrew Barry, the person, he's the youngest GM in NFL history. Um, but Pat, he is more of a traditional football guy. He has a strong belief in the use of analytics. He's on the record with that. We know his ties with that. But this is a guy that came out of college, um, two degrees in four years from Harvard, wasn't sure what he was going to do. Ran into Tom Telesco, a longtime respected football man and pure football man, right? And said, why don't you give the NFL a try? Obviously, you can save the world later. And gave him an internship. Started to climb the ranks, um, as many 
you know, 20 somethings that get that first opportunity do, um, you know, when he came from the Colts is essentially a pro scout to being the top football guy for the Browns four years ago, that was a huge promotion. It was a completely out of the box promotion and it was based more on his education level and ties to analytics. Right. But it was, it was the Browns saying, this is a brilliant guy. We want him on board and he is well-respected. We know the Browns weren't his only offer. Uh, we know that the Eagles didn't want to lose him, right? So, um, you know, this is a guy that you would think if he didn't have some sort of confidence that he was going to get the time, would have never left the job because we know these GMs just don't get second chances. And when you are 32, when you are well-respected, when you have other chances, and you already work high, high up in a great organization, he didn't need this job. So you have to say, and this is, again, to the optimistic side, but just the reality of the only way we can read it right now, Andrew Barry believes that this is going to work, and he believes the Haslams are going to afford him that time. No no question. And I think if you want to look at one statement that the Haslams made to, to indicate that's true is they gave both these guys five-year contracts, which I don't believe. I, I haven't checked every single one of them, but I don't believe they've done that in their tenure. So either that means they're going to get paid for – you know, an extra year beyond what most people do when they leave yeah. here in the past few years, or the Haslam's are seriously committed to trying to stick with this plan. And, you know, when you talk about Andrew Barry, I mean, I've had a few interactions with him. I like him. He's very personable. He's very smart. And you're right. He, he is rooted in traditional scouting. And I think, you know, for whatever reason, analytics has a terrible name in Cleveland, uh, probably because of the way 16 and 17 went. Well, right. But, you know, maybe maybe they can blend the, the whole the the approach, and it could be this this would be the time that it works. There are teams. Baltimore uses it. Uh, Philadelphia uses it, and that they're not exactly you know they're not bottom of the barrel. They're not bottom feeders like the Browns have been for so long. So maybe it can work. He's a bright guy. Uh, he's a personable guy. He's a respectful guy. Uh, he's bright. He's like Freddie Kitchens, and I'm not comparing personality, but just situations. He's going to be dealing with things he's never dealt with. Uh, he's going to have media on him. He's going to have people second guessing him. They're going to things are going to go wrong. They may lose some games, but those are all things he's going to have to learn. I think, and this is how hypothetical, which makes no sense. I think if you take uh, Andrew Barry's resume and if you say he's 42 instead of 32, you look and say, "Wow, what a great hire! The guy was ready." And let's perhaps this is the time that he will be the guy that will work out. Yeah, I won't disagree with that at all. I just think. And when you talk about the outside perception, I just think it doesn't matter if it was Andrew Barry or Fred from the local bowling alley or, or the guy who just drove down the street right here. People are just tired of it, right? And they, just <laughs> they just don't believe. They have to see it. To, to and there are probably people who think Fred from the bowling alley had input on the hire. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Fred, Freddie got a job with the Giants, but uh, I'll stop my bowling alley and that right there. Um, <laughs> another yeah. thing, speaking of that, Andrew Barry's reputation and what people remember. Uh, the Browns sure should have never taken any advice from me, but I think one thing he could, one way he could win people over is to say when he talks on Tuesday, Hey, you know, we believed in what we were doing before and we believe what we're doing now, but we did make some mistakes. Maybe we didn't need to take it all the way down to the studs. You know, maybe we made one wrong move, which everybody does. And that didn't show that stunted the progress and kept us from maybe in that 2017 year, maybe being able to show that we were a heck of a lot closer than people thought, right? Like, because that, that's what rubs people the, brown, the wrong way. The Browns are the laughing stock of pro sports, but they always find a way to come off smarter than everybody. 
I, I could not say it any better. Um, and yeah, that would be refreshing. So you know, Pat, you and I were talking the other day as we go through here in this period where we've tried to find things to write about, right? And, and, and not just to write to write, but to make them interesting and, and, you know, give their subscribers what they want, which is coverage of the Browns that's thorough and it's different. And we just we see what the comments have become. And it's what we've talked about. It's exhaustion. It's frustration. It's no faith in ownership. And we get all that. Um, but one thing I chuckle at is like when people say, Zach, your sarcasm shines through. We get it. Like, yes, I am sarcastic by, by nature. That's my personality. But guys, I mean, we are talking about historic incompetence. I can't say that term enough. Like you have been the Haslam's have owned the team for seven years and three months. This is their fifth coach and fifth GM. It has been such a joke. So like there's only so much left to say and right. There, there really is. I'm not going out of my way to say um, here's why I'm angry about the Cleveland Browns. I'm saying let's look at the facts here, people. It's been really bad. And a lot of us are going to have to see it be completely different before we even start to believe. And, and what makes it even worse, and it has been really bad, you're 100% correct. What makes it worse is every time it happens, the owner sits up and says the exact same things he said yes. a year ago or two years ago. I think the word hollow is probably the biggest understatement for anything he is saying about this that's possible. It, it's just, it's got to be a matter of, you're right. We just got to see it work, it, and we'll, you can give him a fair chance. You know, I, I'm I'm kind of excited to see what Andrew Barry does. I'm interested in what Kevin Stefanski does. I mean, give him a fair chance, see what happens. But it it is so hollow. All the empty words and the excitement, and oh my god, I, just, I, I don't even like to think about it because we've no. heard it so many times. So not till next Thursday for the Andrew Barry press conference. Do I have that correct? That's correct. February five. Okay, is that Wednesday? I think that's maybe Wednesday. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I think it's they're Wednesday. all blurred. Yeah, it's Wednesday. It is Wednesday. Yeah. They're all blurred together. Um, guys, he he's going to use some big words, uh, and I'm not being condescending or sarcastic here. This is a brilliant guy, and I I've talked with him um, on the record a couple of times, off the record, once maybe twice, going back and reading some of the things that I had written and other people had written. Um, you know, in previous times, like th this is, you're going to say this is a smart guy. So again, if, if you're not going to believe the results to see it, you know, wherever you stand on this whole thing. And, you know, Pat, as we transition to the coaches here, I'll just say this analytics versus traditional, the Twitter argument, the bar room argument, the comment section argument, right? The hiring of assistant coaches, coordinators, all those same arguments I just mentioned. None of us know, right? None of us are in the room. Right. And, this is football. It's an, especially in the NFL, it's an ever changing game. It's a super competitive game where your work is out there. And the little bit that you do keep private doesn't go out. So even as they hire coaches and sign them to contracts and think it's going to work, they don't know you know, you don't know what the season's going to bring. And so it's just, it's just what this team has been, which is just completely tiresome because for some teams that do this once every four years or six years or eight years, this brings a new energy and new arguments. Well, this is every year with the Browns. So we especially are reminded that those of us who sung the praises of previous assistant coach hires, what did it really mean? <laughs> the one thing I would like to know, and I don't think he's going to answer this because it's getting in, it gets into specific decisions, but what role does analytics play in trading down from a, a Carson Wentz or trading down from a Deshaun Watson? What role does analytics play versus traditional scouting and taking Corey Coleman? 
Um, those were decisions they made. And that was Sashi Brown, pull, you know, making the call. But that's what I'd like to know. And you're right. We don't know the details on that. And maybe that's on us a little bit for not explaining it better or diving in. But they're also, the Browns are also not real, they're not a sit down and explain things to you kind of team in great detail in a lot of ways. Sure. So sure. You, we're kind of going on impressions. Um, I don't know what role analytics plays in, a, in drafting a specific player versus trading down. Now, you know, the, the knee jerk is numbers of picks is better. So that, that I'll be curious to know that. That would be interesting. You know, it's funny you say that because uh, my first year at the Athletic, the Athletic's first year covering the NFL was the 0-16 year. And first of all, I just remember beating my head against the desk saying, who in the hell will ever subscribe to for coverage of this team? <laughs> but one of the first things that one of the bosses would tell me is, hey, like, dig in here on this analytics thing. You know, find out what, what they're trying to do. And as I did that, Pat, it was just constantly met with, with shutdown. We don't want to talk. We're not going to participate in that. So that adds to the mystery of it. And like I heard on the radio yesterday saying, people in the NFL are rooting against the Browns. They rooted against, well, whether that's true or not, and I think it was to a certain extent the last time, like it's such a silly argument because the results are what they were, what they were, right? Right. And even though Paul D. Podesta was on the record right away saying this is not going to be easy and ownership has to stick with it for five years to work. And then Jimmy pulled the plug on Sashi less than two years in. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and I believe that was the one thing Sashi asked for when, when he got hired was you have to stay committed to this. You can't panic and pull the plug. Well, guess what he did. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, you look at Corey Coleman try to play football and you, you can't stay committed to it. Let's just be honest. You got to so. wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, lots being the changes with Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf. You don't like to see them leave the building because they're smart football people. Nope. Let's let me take a step back. Nobody's going to hit a bat a hundred on per player personnel. You're not going to hit bat a hundred on, on the draft. So you know, if you get sixty percent of them on, as clear winners, you're doing pretty well. I think those guys are smart football people. But on the flip side, you know, a new GM comes in or a new coach comes in, the coach wants his staff, the GM's going to want his guys. So this is what happens. I think it's sad to see Dorsey and all those guys go, but give the new guy a chance and let's see what happens. Yeah. This is what happens everywhere. It just happens with the Browns every year or every other year. <laughs> right. Right? Like There's that detail. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you guys, like last week I went to the Senior Bowl and, you know, I, I had tweeted that the Browns contingent is here, Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith, Steve Malin. Like sometimes you spend years making sources, right, guys? And sometimes you get on a plane and you're sitting next to Alonzo Highsmith going to Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I can't tell you that we talked any football because we didn't, but I could tell by his body language that he wasn't coming back to the Browns, right? Like that's just you know how these things go. So, um, Pat, let's get let's get into the coaching staff again. It's guesswork and. Um, you know, it's been reported, and we believe that as of Monday or Tuesday, Joe Woods will be um, the new defensive coordinator of the Browns. Uh, Alex Van Pelt will be the new offensive coordinator. You covered the NFC or the AFC East for a long time. Do you know Alex Van Pelt at all? Actually, I do not. I, he was a backup quarterback at Buffalo, I believe, for a few, a couple of years mm -hmm. when I covered the Dolphins. So that's as close yeah. as our relationship goes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He, he remains close with Jim Kelly. Um, you know, he's. A lot of ties to the region. He played at Pitt. Uh, he was he was with the Bills 
long time as a player and, and a coach. That was his first coaching gig. It was his only play calling gig. And then he was back um, with the Bengals. He has some family in Northeast Ohio. Again, you know, none of this matters. Um, so as of the timing of this recording, um, I had one source telling me that Alex Van Pelt will call the plays for the Browns, um, that he would not have taken the job. Otherwise, I have another source telling me it's still being worked out. I wouldn't run with that. So um, that's kind of where it stands. You know, to me, Pat, I, I, I'm not sure that matters. I mean, if you are hot, trusting Kevin Stefanski and giving him the keys to your organization, you let him run his his staff and his game day operation as he so chooses. But it, like everything else, I understand why it's a big deal to fans because they're scarred because they've seen Hugh try to call his own plays. They've seen Freddie try to call his own plays, right? And we know how that has all worked out in the past. I I, I think there's some validity to the concern. I think you have a first-year coach who's young. He's only called plays for one full season as a you know full-time coordinator. Um, he did a part of a season as, a, as a, the interim. I think the concern is valid. He's got a lot on his plate. Personally, you know, when he made reference at the last interview we had with him that he might not hire a coordinator, I was like, well, it can work because obviously Kyle Shanahan makes it work. But you'd like to see this guy be able to just be a head coach more than anything and and to be able to focus on that and not have to worry about the other stuff. So I'm glad he hired a coordinator. I think it's going to be a good thing for him, and I think it'll be a good thing for the Browns. I can't tell you much about Alex Van Pelt's football philosophy, but – I think having a coordinator would be good. And I, I would personally, you know, it's just me. I would hope that, that he lets the coordinator call the plays and, and that he, he is the head coach. And because I think that's an important step. And I think we've seen, there's a lot on the plate, especially in your first year. And I think the more he can be a head coach, the better off the Browns will be. Yeah. Well, you know, just, just doing the math and, and really doing some reading, um, you know, Alex Van Pelt has been credited with, focusing on mechanics for quarterbacks. We know Baker's got out of whack last year. Uh, We could read his resume, but to me, the thing that jumps off the page is that four years with Aaron Rodgers went really well. And when the Packers let Alex Van Pelt go, Aaron Rodgers spoke out against that and said, what what are we doing here? I wasn't consulted on this. I like this guy. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, he has ties to the West coast principles as many do. Uh, He and Stefanski have never worked together, but they share that. They share some Gary Kubiak, Shanahan type things. So we're looking at what we already thought an offense that should feature two tight ends that should want to run the ball uh, with Bill Callahan in place, you know, who, who is West coast himself zone blocking. We, we kind of know what it will look like. And, and when you talk about alignment, been the magic word for this longest month ever, um, <laughs> you know, that, that makes sense. I think a lot of people started looking at who Stefanski uh, already knew and as, as we've mentioned before, I think one of the concerns, at least from the outside, was, okay, this guy is Stefanski, I mean, has only ever worked with one team. How is he going to hire guys? And, you know, we don't know how it'll work with Alex Van Pelt. But I think getting Bill Callahan, you know, spoke volumes. And then, of course, Bill Callahan's son is the coordinator of the Bengals. And so you have to think that that tie, you have to think that he spoke up for Alex Van Pelt in this process. I would say one thing you mentioned that's very – that's really good to hear there is about Aaron Rodgers speaking up for him. I think that's yeah. a great sign. Uh, I think the fact that they, one of the first personnel move they've made was to bring in a fullback is interesting out there. You know, this team could, there were times that it seemed like they could use a fullback. I think you're right. They're going to go a lot of two tight ends. And the one thing I, I'm really excited to see uh, 
is Nick Chubb operating in the zone read run offense. I mean, you give that guy uh, the opportunity to, to say, take the ball and find your hole and just plant and go. I mean, I'm that potential to me is immense. I mean, I think we've seen this zone read offense, the running game work. It helps the passing game. And I think that the potential with Chubb there is just, I mean, that, that could be really fun to watch. Yeah, um, it could be. So that's a long way away. We know when the Browns could be, could gather. <laughs> yeah, we know when that's the Browns our gather. Annual, and annual January statement, right? But I mean, remember what Joe Thomas used to say. He would say every year the Saints get together and they say, you know, we weren't very good on third and three last year. So on the first day of practice, they start working on third and three. Right? The Browns gather. Everybody's in. Got to wear a name tag. Everybody's got to introduce the new playbook, all this stuff. Uh, we've seen it go on. And really, you know, from a personnel standpoint, that's what it is. I mean, you know, I, I don't think the people that that fear a total blow up are going to be right. But you have new people picking the players. You have new coaches implementing new schemes. You know, you you have a group that track record says it will look to acquire more assets and isn't afraid to trade down in the draft and might be hesitant to go spend on on big ticket items, but might be in the mood of getting more middle-class players um, specifically tied to this coaching staff, which by the way is how a lot of smart teams do free agency. And I think there's a case here, Pat, for just making the Browns an older, more experienced team. I mean, it was just six weeks ago. We had a team that couldn't get out of the huddle, right? So the thought here for all you optimists, and I'm willing to listen to this a hundred percent, is that if the Browns are just a little more disciplined and don't get guys ejected for kicking guys and don't get have to cut starters <laughs> for sending death threats, then maybe they'll be a lot better in a short period of time. <laughs> Small steps, Zach. I mean, let's let's not expect it's giant just steps. A comedy right show. I don't know how else to frame it. <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps, right? I mean, you know, it will it will. Some of the personnel decisions will be interesting. I still think. Odell Beckham is a decision we will be interesting to watch and see what happens. Um, yeah. What they do with Hunt in light of the uh, the recent dash cam video. I mean, that could go a lot of ways. They could say we're going to commit to him and try to work with him and help him. They could say we're just going to let him go in free agency. I mean, that could go. And I don't know that either approach is necessarily wrong. I think both could right. work. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do. All right. So I'm glad while you're there, let's discuss the Hunt thing. Um, I know that he – well, we can't say he's on a zero-tolerance policy, right? Um, yeah, that blew up. <laughs> That's gone. Yeah, right. But I kind of look at it like this. You know, if you say that he's not or he wasn't in the program, like I'm not sure that he was doing anything other than what hundreds of guys do uh, in the offseason. The officer declared him not impaired to the point that he couldn't drive, right? Um, to me, this just – ensures that the Browns don't have to worry about losing him to an outside team. And I think they stick with him. I I do. I I could be reading that completely wrong, um, but I think Kareem Hunt will be a Cleveland Brown on a third round tender for 2020. And we'll see where it goes. That's, that's the way I read it. I I could be wrong because I won't be shocked if they move on, but I see the Browns moving on and I see Kareem Hunt going for 14 and 14 for the Indianapolis Colts or something like that. I just, I do. Um, so we'll see. Well, I, from what I understand is the the Browns themselves were, were quite concerned with that dash cam, that they weren't aware of all the details on the dash cam until it came out. 
Yeah. And I think I, I know what you're saying that, you know, it's what a lot of people do. But at the same time, if, you know, you are at all impaired and we'll, we'll trust the police officer who's got a good reputation, according to the Rocky River Police Department, that he's good at judging this. So he didn't feel the need to give him a breathalyzer. But if you're at all impaired and driving 77, you're not just risking your life, you're risking other people's. And, you know, no we doubt. all have speed. We all speed. I get it. I understand it. Uh, I just think there was some eyebrow-raising things in that dash cam that are concerning. And one question we don't know, you know, we obviously know John Dorsey was willing to give people, as he said, a second chance. And he brought in guys that, and he did it at Kansas City, the same, he brought in guys with questionable backgrounds and, and with issues in their background. What will Andrew Berry want to do? What will Kevin Stefanski want to do? I mean, I remember when Tito Francona came here, and I'm mixing sports, so I, I apologize, but you know, he said, well, character matters, but we're not putting together a Boy Scout troop. You know, we're yeah. putting together a team. So that's what the Browns have to decide. How much, you know, how much weight are they going to give to character and issues and, and distractions, things like that? To me, anything that takes the focus away from winning the game is a problem. And when you got a guy who's featured on a dash cam video across the country, that, that's not helping you win games. No. So that's the decision they're going to have to make. Right. Um, but just like, you know, the right answer is somewhere in the middle of pure analytics and pure football. The right answer is somewhere in the middle of the Browns have a press conference on Wednesday and the Chiefs playing the Super Bowl on Sunday. <laughs> somewhere in the middle. That's right. <laughs> right. And I'm not talking about Tuesday at 8 a.m. Right. <laughs> um, this is my last thought. This is where it goes. Um, you know, we'll see what happens because I'm, I'm going to be the first one to admit Um as cynical as I am, as sarcastic as I am, is everything that I've seen, and I'd like to think I know a little bit about this league. Um, I am suffering from exhaustion more than anything else with this month, with this franchise, with this constant churn. So we, I, I'm willing to give them a chance. I really like Andrew Barry, like I said, as a person and as someone I would want running and in, in making major decisions and representing my organization but I'm just going to say it now and we'll talk about this going on for the next X amount of weeks, months, you know, however long this group's allowed to stay on somewhere between 12 and 36 months. My major concern is that they will never acquire enough talent to be competitive. We know what's out there. Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes surrounded by two of the best organizations in all of pro sports right in their own division. This is my concern about this, this group. And, um, you know, this is a Browns team that's a lot better on paper right now in early February than a lot of the previous editions. But that doesn't mean it's good enough or even close to good enough, especially when you add in the constant churn and the new schemes and all of that. So th this is this is how I see it. And um, they're six and ten to me until proven otherwise. Well, there's no doubt about that last point. They are they are what they are. Their record says they are. Uh, I will take what you said a step further. Um Let's also not forget Joe Burrow about to be, become a member of this division, the AFC North. That, that's right. going to be another factor. They're going to have to deal with him in theory for the next 10 or 12 years. Um, see how it works out, obviously. I, I'm actually going to take it a step further. That once you get past the, you know, the, the uh, fatigue of all the constant change and the hollow words, I'm, kind of a, I'm a little bit excited to see what happens with this group. And I just hope you know, he gives, that the owner gives it the time it needs and, and he is a little more has a little more fortitude about it, but I'm a little excited. I mean, I, I like you. I'm a, I like Andrew Barry. I, I think he's a good person. I think he's a smart guy, and I, I'm intrigued to see what he does. 
know, Kevin Stefanski is young, but let's give him a chance. Uh, let's, it's a new approach. It's new people. Give him a chance. I'm kind of excited to see how a different formula of putting things together actually works and to see if it does work. So let's, 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 let's just go along for the ride and, and see what happens. We got a long time before they play a game. Uh, we're, it's, it's, they deserve an, a fair chance. A couple of summers ago, Hugh Jackson walked in the lake and the Browns had to call the TV stations and ask him not to air the footage of his pants falling off. So <laughs> <laughs> there is that. <laughs> well, a few months ago, you had a player in the, in the locker room threatening people on social media, too. So, With his know. cleats on. Cleats are his cleats. You know, I guess there's nowhere to go but up in many ways. <laughs> so my, my friend... Um, teaches at a, a local high school um, a good one by by all all regards and in the second semester he has a sports history class so every year he tries to have me come in um, as they get to a certain point in in Brown's history right which is <laughs> which is generally the the end of the old Browns to the the beginning of the new Browns and so yesterday just happened to be that day where where I was free and they were you know, about that point in the lesson. And he asked me to come out, Pat. And the first class was like 9.45 to 10.30. And then the next class was until the early afternoon. So as I was walking back to my car to go grab a sandwich and find the best way to kill that hour and a half or whatever it was, is when they, you know, the the Highsmith and Wolf and Malin news broke. And again, that's not surprising to anyone. Um, nor do I think it's especially significant in the long run, given the, what the Browns have chosen. But it's just hilarious to me how I'm in there talking about bad drafting and constant change and how they don't get anywhere and how Joe Thomas says every May they have to meet each other and learn a new system, right? And as I get done spewing this out and go back to my car before I can even turn on sports radio, right, which is my fault to start with, this is going on and I just – I sat in this. I sat in the parking lot of that school and had a good chuckle with myself for thirty or so seconds. And it's well earned. I think you deserve to have that chuckle. Uh, would, well, I'm out. Just thoughts. Thought, How about you? I did have one last thought, and it's a it's a little somber one. So I'm going to say that up front. But I think you know we're all, we're talking about winning games and things. But I think there was a tragedy that happened not just in sports for but for several families in Los Angeles. I think you know I don't want to. I think that's fair that I could speak for everybody at The Athletic that, you know, all of our thoughts go out to Kobe Bryant and his family and every one of those families that, that is experiencing uh, what I can't really unfathomable loss right now. So let's let's offer a moment for them in our own in our own way. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, um, really, really uh, powerful stuff over the Internet this week and um something that it makes everybody give pause and just unimaginable tragedy and um, really tough. So I'm glad you brought that up because um, when you talk Browns, you get caught in the moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and this whole story about Kobe and the girl dad obviously hit me. I have two daughters. They are in LA right now. And last night they went down to Staples center and, and walked around and, you know, they grew up with Kobe, like a lot of, like that generation did. And uh, they went down there, spent some time. They sent me a bunch of pictures. And to wake up to that this morning was really kind of a, a pausing moment. That's all. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. All right. So we're, we're going to keep covering, um, you know, what we've been doing, what we've been planning to do uh, 
amid these announcements here on the athletics. So we appreciate you guys reading, clicking back, listening. Um, if we have our days right, it is next Wednesday for the Andrew Barry press conference. There will be a civilized barking podcast, maybe not every week, but every week there's something going on. Uh, <laughs> that's every week. Is, yeah, that's every week. <laughs> Saturday's February 1st, right? So the last week of the month is the combine. So, you know, three ish weeks on that. Um, you know, last year, the day after the Super Bowl, it's not the league year per se, but it's the first day that transactions open up just for policy, just to make sure there's no shady business. And that's the day last year that the Browns stunned everybody and signed Kareem Hunt. So I don't think that will be happening again, but um, if they are going to cut guys and the Browns have some obvious cut candidates, uh, if they are going to, you know, make a move, um, you know, further personnel moves or, or obviously further coaching moves, even though we think we know the primary names on the staff um, that will come out. So that's kind of the Browns calendar again. Um, you know, as aggravating as it is, we like writing about it, talking about it. We're glad to have you guys along for the ride. So spread the word on the podcast, on the athletic and stick with us. We'll do our best to, to bring you what we know first um, in the best way. And see how this all thing shakes out because none of us know what the hell it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> so for Pat, I'm Zach. We'll talk to you next time on Civilized Bud. Woof. <laughs>